0: If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 23, Ephesians chapter 1, and if you're there, say amen. Okay, would you stand with me for scripture reading this morning, please? Ephesians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 18 through 23. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope, know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills every good thing in every way. May God bless the reading of his word, and let's pray. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you'd help me to share this message, this Palm Sunday of 2013. May your will be done in our lives, all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'd invite you to pull out those message notes and just follow along as well. Did you hear the particular story? I always like to start off with a funny story. Did you hear the particular story about the lady who had a heart attack? She had a heart attack and she was was in the hospital and they were operating on her. And she began to have a conversation with God. She said, Lord, is this it? Is this it? Is my time up? And the Lord spoke to her and said, no, you have 40 more years. 40 more years. Upon recovery, she decided to stay in the hospital and have a facelift, a tummy tuck, (laughs) liposuction, an extreme makeover. Extreme makeover. Two months later, as she recovered from her surgery out of the hospital, she was hit by a car and she was killed. She was hit by a car and she was killed. She got to heaven and she said, God, I thought you said I had 40 more years, and God said, I'm so sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> Silly. If there's one word that, is, uh, this, that could be described, one word that we can use to describe what I've been talking about the last number of weeks is the word transformation, transformation. But transformation, the kind of transformation that we're talking about is not skin deep. We're not talking about external transformation necessarily. We're talking about internal transformation, something that happens inside of us when we make Jesus Christ our Savior and the Lord of our life. Did you know that um, a number of years ago there was a song, Tie the Yellow Ribbon Around the Old Oak Tree? And that song climbed to the tops of the charts And it was a number one song for a number, a number of weeks. In fact, I think it was a number one for for six or seven weeks. It was a song about a young man that had been gone a long time. And he let his family know that if they still wanted him, after this long absence, to tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Imagine the scene. This young man, knowing the pain of the separation that has caused his family, feeling anxious in a pipe, wondering what to expect, he aboards this train and rides it all day. And as he turns the bin close to his town, expecting, not expecting to see what he saw, he saw not one, not two, but hundreds of yellow ribbons tied around that old Oak tree. Somebody has said hope looks in the future. Hope stands on its tippy toes. Hope makes today bearable when we go through difficulties because we know that there's a brighter future tomorrow. On that particular day that we call Palm Sunday, the Bible says that Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. And the crowd that day, they begin to sing the most beautiful song of hope. According to Mark 11, verse 9, they begin to sing a song that went like this, Hosanna, Hosanna. Literally, it means the Lord saves. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. It was a song of hope. They were hoping. They were looking forward. They believed that the Messiah had come. And they embraced Jesus Christ with all of His life-changing messages. And they saw all the miracles. And they wanted Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. And they began to sing the song to Him. It was a beautiful song of hope. But in just a few short days in what we call the Passion Week. Jesus Christ, after the last Passover meal with his disciples, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, after praying a prayer of surrender, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He was approached by Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would betray him for 40 pieces of silver. And Judas kissed him. And the temple guards who were with him arrested Jesus Christ and he went and faced the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling body of that particular time. And Jesus faced these trumped up charges and he was found guilty. And then he appeared before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate found him guilty as well. And Jesus Christ was beaten, and he was. uh, Thorns were placed upon his hair, uh, head, ripping his scalp like a chainsaw would rip through a log. And then they led him down the Via Dolorosa, and finally they led him to a place called Gagotha, or Skull Hill, and Jesus Christ was crucified between two soldiers. And he died. What started out as a hopeful song seemingly ended for the followers of Jesus Christ, they hung their head and they wept. And the disciples and the women that were there, they went back to where they were at. That was Friday. You know, church, there are those of us that I'm speaking to that you face hopeless situations. Maybe not now. Maybe you've gone through it. Or maybe you're approaching it. Hopeless situations. We often find ourselves in predicaments and situations that, humanly speaking, there's no more hope. Relationship problems, impending divorce or bankruptcy. All kinds of hopeless situations. It looked really hopeless for the followers of Jesus Christ on that Friday. He was dead. He was placed in a tomb. On the first day of the week, we read that women came bringing barrel spices. His followers, women, came, in, came bringing barrel spices for a dead corpse. And there they met what they thought was a car, gardener, but he was really an angel. And they said, Why are you looking... for the dead. Jesus Christ is not here. He arose as he said he was going to do. The resurrection occurred 3 days later and Christ defeated Satan and death and old snaggletooth. You say pastor Ron, how does that apply me today? How does that apply to me today? In any hopeless situations that I might find myself in, any problems that I might be having in my life. Well, often people ask the question, what can I do in these particular situations that I find myself in? You know, I want to change, but I don't have the power to change. Uh, one time I went on a diet. It lasted one afternoon. Just one afternoon. And often people will say, well, you know, you need to go to this seminar. You need to go to this conference. You need to go to this particular meeting. And often we're looking for a painless cure to zap whatever we need in our life, so we can change instantly. Or we go on these diets, like I said, or we join a health club. And usually we join it for the first couple of months in the new year and all of a sudden enthusiasm wanes and we stop going. And the problem with those self-help books is is that they tell you what to do, but they don't give you the power. They don't give you the power. They don't give you. They they say things like, "Get rid of your bad habits. Be positive. Don't be negative." But how? How does a person get the power to change and to have hope in their life? How do I get out of the rut? Here's the good news. This is absolutely why we have this cross here, and this is why what Easter is all about. I want you to listen to Philippians chapter three, verse ten. I think it's in your message notes. All I want to know, Paul's Apostle Paul wrote, is Christ and experience, circle that, experience the power of His resurrection. Ephesians one twenty again, the passage of Scripture, I get, got through reading in another translation, paraphrase says, I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great His power is to help those who believe Him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Now notice that word power there. In the Greek... It's dunamos, and in the English translation, it's where we get the word dynamite. Did you know that the word power is used 57 times in the New Testament? 57 times in the New Testament. And did you know that Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most powerful event in all of history? And often people don't understand it, and they cannot comprehend it, and they don't understand how that applies to their, their lives today. Paul said, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, died 2,000 plus years ago to help give us power and to help change our lives. Now, the very first thing I want you to notice is that the resurrection that we're talking about where Jesus Christ defeated death and sin and Satan, it provides power to cancel our past. Power to cancel our past. Our failures, our mistakes, our sins, our regrets. When I say cancel, I'm not talking about denying the past, I'm not saying that it's never happened before. Cancel means to eliminate, it means to neutralize, it means to offset. Have you ever been halfway through a painting project in your living room and you wish or your house and you wish you could paint the color all over again? Have you ever been halfway through life? Halfway through life and you wish you could change some things about the past? I wish I could wipe them out. All those failures and problems and bad decisions. Everybody has regrets because nobody is perfect. I don't measure up to my own standards, much less God's standards sometimes. And some people, they can't seem to let go of their past. And as a result, their past is controlling their present. And they continue to say, if only, if only. A, a, a number of years ago, when we pastored a previous church, there was a couple that came to our church at Christmas time. And as was our habit, we visited with this couple. Brought some cookies to them. We do like to follow up with people with cookies. Why do you bring cookies to people? Because it opens the door. If you come with nothing, they'll look at you like, who are you? But you bring cookies, they open the door. I don't know what it is. So we came with cookies. They opened the door. I came in and visited with him. And I found out this guy worked at the Jamestown uh, uh, Mining Company, which was producing a lot of gold at that particular time. And he was driving a big cat. And I could tell he was bothered about something. And he says, I haven't worked since X1. I said, well, what happened? Tell me your story. He said, I was driving a big cat. I think it was a DC-10. I was driving this this cat. And I had this young man working with me. And this young man decided to um, run in the back of my caterpillar while I was operating it. He wanted to take a shortcut. And that was a no-no. Everybody knew that you're not supposed to do that. And I couldn't see him, and he slipped and he fell and ran ran right over him, killed him instantly, crushed him to death. And ever since that particular time, I have not been able to work and keep a job. I haven't been able to forgive myself for what I've done. Even though I know it's an accident, my mind tells me it's an accident, but my heart tells me I killed a young man and ruined his family's life. How can I be forgiven? And I shared with him, 1 John 9 and those other passages of Scripture, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and try to cancel with Him. But because of Jesus Christ and because of what He did on the cross, it means my past can be forgiven. My past failures, the things I've done in my past. And you know what the amazing thing is? is the Bible says in Colossians 3.14, He has forgiven us of all our sins and canceled, circle that, Every record of the debt we had to pay, he's forgiven all of our sins. Now, what is sin? Did you know that sin is an archery term? It's an archery term where we're shooting arrows at the target, at the bullseye, and we missed a target, and it was called a sin. It meant, it meant missing the mark, and that's what the Bible says. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm talking about myself myself. Talking about you, talking about the Pope, talking about Billy Graham, the Bible says that we've all sinned, and Jesus Christ knows what we've done wrong, and he didn't come to rub our face in our sins, he came to rub them out. In fact, in John chapter three, verse seventeen, remember, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save it. In Jeremiah thirty one, thirty-four it says, I will remember their sins no more. Now, Jesus or the Bible indicates that When we confess our sins, God doesn't remember it at all. You might want to say he throws it into the deepest, darkest part of the ocean, and then he puts a no fishing sign on top. Isn't that great? Why are we beating up ourselves for the things that God forgives us for? And yet you don't know how many people I know, Christian people, who say, I've asked God to forgive me, but I still feel guilty. About this. It's been cancelled. It's wiped away. Because of Jesus Christ. And because of the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. He defeated sin. Satan. Canceled. It's gone. It's no longer there. Now I want you to also note. Number two. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the power of to conquer our problems. How many of you do not have problems? You don't have any problems in the whole world. If you don't have a single problem in the whole world, the only people that I know that qualify a bit are those people that are at San Jacinto Cemetery. Everybody has problems. Our real problem is what we do with our problems. If we try to solve our problems in our own power, in our own strength, how do you know you're trying to solve your own problems in your own power, in your your own strength? you know how you know it? You get tired all the time. You're sick. You get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Uh, You heard about the guy that went out mountain climbing and he fell off off the cliff and halfway down he grabbed a hold of the ledge and he's holding on the ledge, and he's looking down, and he's got 2,000 feet down, and he's, dropped, or he's already dropped 1,000 feet. And he starts praying. He starts praying this prayer. God, please, get me out of this. I'm going to depend on your power, your strength. God, help me. And a voice comes down to the man from heaven. Trust me. Let go. The guy looks down, and he looks back up, and he says, Anybody else there? It's the power to conquer your problems. The power to conquer your problems. The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, "Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or danger, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loves us." Now, if that passage of scriptures in your message notes, I believe it is, circle the word "conquerors" there. According to the Webster dictionary, it means this: one who overcomes by gaining control. And I've met thousands of people, dozens of people, who believe their lives are out of control. I'm a victim of my own circumstances. What can I do? I'm powerless. Just about the time you make the ends meet, the ends move. And you walk up to somebody and say, how are you doing? They say, I'm doing okay under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under the circumstances? Somebody has said circumstances are like a mattress. You get on top of them and you rest easy, but you get underneath the mattress and you're going to suffocate. And it depends on where you are. And a lot of people are under their circumstances. And the fact is, we cannot allow circumstances to control us, but we can control how we respond to them. Did you know that that verse says that we are more than conquerors? And literally translated in the original language, it means super-conquers. Super-conquers. Overwhelming victory. And this is what the Apostle Paul was trying to say. He said, if you put your faith and trust in God and you completely give yourself to the Lord, then you can face hell or high water, you can go through anything, any difficulty, any problem, any relationship problem, any financial problem, and you will find help and victorious power to enable you to deal with the problem. Anything that you go through in your life. It's the power to cancel your past, it's the power to conquer your problems. The third thing I want you to know, because of the cross and because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the power to change your personality. And a lot of us need changing. You know? We need changing. We do. Because we're worry warts, and we do things, and we say things, and, and we say, oh, I can never kick that habit. I can never get over that particular thing in my life. I can never change my life. I'm just stuck in a rut someplace, and, and uh, come on now. One wife said, my husband is so temperamental. He's 90% temper and 10% mental. There was one lady, there was one guy that went to a marriage counselor. He said, I want a divorce. The marriage counselor said, well, you took her for better or for worse. And the guy said, well, she's a lot worse than I took her for. (laughs) How does God change our personality? Complete this sentence. It's just like me to be always late, worry, never stay on a diet, always put my foot in my mouth, blow up, always be depressed, always get angry, whatever. And the fact is God uses a two-step process to change us. He uses a two-step process to change us. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ, that's the initial turning point. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a new person on the inside. That's why the Bible says that they're being born again. It's not reincarnation. It's not reincarnation. It's like starting all over again. It just means you're given another chance. You start all over again. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be... Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Now, I think there's a two-step process, and we've been quoting Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 for several weeks now. Another translation says, Present yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. Do not let the world conform you to its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Giving ourselves to Jesus Christ is the initial process. Making him the Lord of our life is the ongoing, the second process. And it's a continual, continual dying to self and consecrating ourselves. Galatians 5:22 and 23. When the Holy Spirit controls your life, he'll produce this kind of fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. How many people that you that you work with would you, would you say have the fruit of spirit in their lives? Love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness. How many people that you know have those things, the fruit of spirit, in their lives? Very few people, probably. Rather than being loving, people often are unloving. Rather than being patient, people are often impatient. Rather than being faithful, people often are unfaithful. Rather than having self-control, people just don't have any control in their life. And yet... These are the fruit of the Spirit, and this is what the Bible says. When you make Jesus Christ your Savior and the Lord of your life, you will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, and self-control in your life. These are the characteristics of the person who lets the work of God, God's power, work in their life. This isn't something you work up. It's not something you force yourself into to be more loving, more joyful. It's something that God does on the inside. It's a God job, you might want to say. There's one thing that will often keep people from changing, though. You know what that is? Just one thing. It's not Satan. It's not Satan. It's not a relative. It's not a friend it's not other people it's not circumstances there's one thing that will often keep people from changing you know what that is in a word it is procrastination 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 is deadly i'll have i have every i have every intention of changing i'll do it tomorrow i want to change I want to get out of the situation. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm I'm aiming to change. I'm aiming to change. And I want to say when are you gonna pull the trigger? When are you gonna pull the trigger? Procrastination is is fatal. One of these days I'm gonna go to the dentist. One of these days I'm going to go to the doctor. One of these days I'm going to have that surgery that I need in my life. One of these days I'm going to spend more time with my family. One of these days I'm going to get serious about my Christian faith. One of these days I'm going to start serving and get active in the church. One of these days I'm going to start going after my dream. One of these days I'm going to get really good shape. One of these days... One of my favorite shows will be on television this week. Every Christmas you can count on, it's a wonderful life, and every Easter you can count on what? What show? Charlton Heston starred in what? The Ten Commandments. You can count on the Ten Commandments being uh, during this particular time of year. And it's one of my favorite shows. And the amazing thing about the Ten Commandments was, did you know that there was a plague for every single different Egyptian god. God just wanted to make fun of every different Egyptian god. And so there was a plague of the cow, there's a plague of the lice, and one of the most interesting plagues that we read about were, were the frogs. The plague of the frogs. Can you imagine? waking up in your bed, and there are frogs in your bed, all over your bed. Can you imagine walking down in the bathroom, and you're crunching on these frogs? Can you imagine going down your kitchen area, and you begin to cook something up, and you're, you're, you're walking all over these frogs? Frogs were anywhere, and they were everywhere. And the Bible says they were just absolutely all over the place. And I'm, I'm sure that Mrs. Farrell began to put pressure on Mr. Farrell. Give in. Get rid of the frogs. I want to get rid of the frogs. And one day Moses comes up to Pharaoh and, and and um and Pharaoh gives up. And Moses says, Do you want me to get rid of the frogs? And Pharaoh said, What did he say? He said, Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Did you know that there's a, a famous sermon out there entitled One More Night with the Frogs? One More Night with the frogs, tomorrow, tomorrow. Why wouldn't he say, right now, get them out of here? But he said, tomorrow. And often I think that there are people that do procrastinate. They do procrastinate in making decisions and choices that they need to make. Today, today, the hardest thing in life is to make a decision today. You say, why is it so difficult to make that change that I need to make? Well, maybe it's because we're complacent. just too lazy to change. Maybe it's fear. I'm afraid of the unknown. I'm afraid of what that means if I'm going to change. Or maybe... It's because of pride. We're just kind of stubborn, prideful. We procrastinate. I think that um, Don would vouch for this. I believe he would. But I read someplace that the greatest amount of fuel that a rocket uses is in the initial thrust. They use all, use thousand, all of this fuel just to get it off the ground in that first half mile. But once that rocket is in space and it's overcome the inertia, use a lot less rocket fuel. It's much easier direct. And the hardest thing in life is to get going, to head in the right direction, to make the right decisions, not to procrastinate and to to say, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Now, if Jesus Christ is who he said he was, and if Jesus Christ did what he said he did, he said, kill me, and I'm going to be raised up in three days. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, if that was an empty tomb, if he appeared to all those people, we have all those eyewitnesses accounts. That he did all those things, and then they saw him go back into heaven. And we read the Apostle Paul says the resurrection power is provided to Jesus Christ's followers, all of those who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, the most pivotal event of history. If that is available to you and it's available to me, then why? Would I procrastinate and not do something about it when it comes to my personal life and the personal decisions and choices that I perhaps have to make? Why would I procrastinate one day further? Now let's get down to where the rubber meets the road here for just a moment. Is there anything in your life that is an idol? Is there anything in our lives that's an idol? An idol is something that takes first place above our relationship with God. It may be a thing. It may be a possession. It may be a relationship. Is there any habit or addiction that we have in our life that is not right anything that's not right. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. All things. Is there a fear of phobia? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Finances. It's so difficult to let go of my money. It's my money, it's not the Lord's money. I want control. And yet the Bible says, put them first, even in your finances. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Palm Sunday, crucifixion, resurrection. What does Easter mean to us? It's an, it's an ancient event. Millions of people have been to the tomb, and nobody's home. He's not there. The reason why is the Bible says that Jesus Christ is alive. And since He's alive, He gives us the power to change. He promises power to change. Why not experience the power of Jesus Christ this Easter season?